All right, welcome back. Welcome. <clears throat> it is so good, as Virginia said earlier, it's so good to be back together with you here at Vesper. And we are also very mindful of those of you who are streaming uh, with us from wherever you are. This is very, uh, it's good for the soul <laughs> for us to be together. And I'm really happy to be here, particularly on this Sunday in February, where um, you're probably aware we are entering the fourth week of Black History Month. And you've probably been honoring and celebrating that in um, lots of different ways in your circles. And uh, I want to share with you as we begin that on this day, just a little bit over a century ago, so February 20th, 1895, we lost Frederick Douglass. And he was just a great preacher and author and uh, abolitionist. And last week in Christopher's homily, he shared a little bit of Frederick Douglass's story. And today I'm going to share a little bit more because our text for today from the book of Luke um, we're going to hear Jesus inviting us into a question that was also central to Frederick Douglass's life and work. And that question is, toward whom is God leaning? And how can we also incline ourselves in that direction? Uh, Frederick Douglass is considered a precursor to liberation theology. And I find myself returning to his writings over and over again as I seek to educate myself as a white-bodied person on just the history of race in America, and particularly the role that the white church played in it. Frederick Douglass challenged the theology of the white churchgoers of his day, particularly this mistaken notion that God is leaning towards, inclined towards those in power who are benefiting off of the oppression of others. That really harmful notion was taught in churches and used as a tool to prevent anyone from questioning those oppressive systems and those in power. But at the age of 13, Frederick Douglass had a personal encounter with God that persuaded him, no, God is very different from that. God is, in fact, leaning toward the ones in need. And this is also the understanding of God we find in Luke today in Jesus' teachings. And so I want us to notice this morning the ways that mistaken notions about God have been passed down throughout history by those in power who were benefiting off the oppression of others, not because those notions were true per se, but because they served the interests of those who were benefiting off of the oppression of others. And yet in Jesus... We're invited to encounter who God really is and allow that to update our understanding then of what God is really like. This season in the life of the church is called Epiphany, which means the appearing, the unveiling, the revealing of who God is once and for all. So here's a question for us today. What mistaken notions about God might we also have inherited? And how can we continuously allow the story of Jesus to update our understanding of who God is? And before we open the scriptures, I want to say one more thing about why this matters. We can want with our whole hearts to 
dismantle systems of violence and oppression and make life safer for everyone. But if our theology makes us feel conflicted about confronting those systems, we'll, we'll just be ineffective. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Jesus' teachings here from the book of Luke, chapter 6, which opens with this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. So let's start with noticing what ideas about this word blessed we may have inherited. For instance, we might think of it as like a compensation for suffering today, like don't worry, you'll be compensated for it tomorrow, with then the implied message being, so don't try to rectify the causes of your suffering because you're actually in a favorable position even though everything in your body is telling you otherwise. So let's notice that that reading of this text is an example of what would serve the interests of those who are benefiting off of the suffering of others. Jesus' original listeners would have heard this word blessed really differently. In the Greek, it holds more a sense of being leaned toward, being inclined toward, God reaching for you. So God is leaning in your direction, you who are poor. God is inclined and extended toward you who are hungry. God is reaching for you who are weeping. And for those listening to Jesus who perhaps grew up hearing the opposite, this would have been a real theological reversal. So before we look at the implications of that reversal, let's just pause to notice the power of epiphany. Like when God reveals something to us, we really couldn't have perceived any other way. And Frederick Douglass writes about a similar moment where his perception of God was just flipped upside down. After having escaped from enslavement at around age 20, Douglas wrote his first book, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. And in it, he tells of having been separated from his mother at an early age and given to this brutal white man named Thomas Ald. And in the Ald household, Douglas was taught the faulty and very dehumanizing theology that God is leaning towards the white enslavers and away from black bodies. But then, Douglas describes having had his own personal encounter with God in his early teens, so he was quite young, and he writes this. I was not more than 13 years old when in my loneliness and destitution I longed for someone to whom I could go as to a father or protector and to feel that in God I had such a friend. And I consulted a good old man, and in tones of holy affection, he told me to pray and to cast all my cares upon God. And this I sought to do, and though for weeks I was a poor, broken-hearted mourner, traveling through doubts and fears, I finally found my burden lightened and my heart relieved. And as a result of this encounter, Douglas goes on to say, from then on, I loved all mankind, slaveholders not accepted, though I abhorred slavery more than ever. So I want us to acknowledge the tension in Douglas's words that he's already embodying at such a tender age. The tension in which this, empo- this encounter with God, it sparked this powerful love inside him, even toward his oppressors, and this profound epiphany 
for him, that systems of violence and oppression are not of God. And that combination of love plus epiphany then spurred Douglas to take some really bold actions to dismantle those oppressive systems that we're going to see in a moment. So when we read, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, blessed are you who weep, because God is leaning toward you, we might pause to consider that when God leans toward, it's for a purpose. It's not just for comfort, although it definitely can be comforting. But the blessing is not one that is meant to leave oppressive systems unchallenged or oppressive notions of God unshaken. The blessing is for the transformation of those very systems. So when God is leaning toward, it's for the purpose of empowering the one in need, lifting up the one being injured, setting the oppressed and the oppressor on even ground. And I will confess that I inherited notions about God that did not empower me to confront oppressive systems. I was taught in church not to trust my feelings and not to see, recognize when myself or others were being injured and not to challenge harmful dynamics in relationships. And I don't think that's unique to women. I think that that mistaken notion that God is inclined toward the powerful, especially within churches, could be a, it's been a bedrock of a culture that prevents us from challenging charismatic leaders. But I've come to the understanding that when harm is being done, love looks like speaking up and taking action. That's what love looks like in practice. So with that in mind, let's look now at how our text continues. So Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. So in the Greek, this word defame means like insult you or speak evil of your name or basically like shame you publicly. So let's notice that the listeners of Jesus' day and the day of Frederick Douglass would have likely inherited the notion that when we are hated or excluded or rejected, that it's an indicator of how God is also feeling about us. So for those who had grown up with that notion, these words of Jesus also would come as a shock, like a real theological reversal. What do you mean that when God, that God is leaning in my direction when people hate me? That God is inclined and extended toward me when people exclude me? That God is reaching for me when other people revile and insult me. So again, Jesus is inviting us to update our understanding of who God is leaning toward for the purpose of empowering the one being hated, lifting up the one being excluded, and setting the shamed and the shamer on even ground. But let's slow down here for just a moment. And let's notice that when we are on the receiving end of rejection or shame, our bodies can feel as if God is also rejecting us, even if our minds want to believe otherwise. And so reversing this felt experience can often require a tangible embodied encounter with someone who is leaning toward us when everyone else leans away and someone who is reaching for us when everyone else is pushing away. And Frederick Douglass writes about having had a similar encounter. So, uh, and it was in Ireland. So after his writings became so well-known, uh, his friends 
in the north, so he was already, you know, living in a safer environment in the north, but his friends got very scared that his former enslaver, Thomas Ald, was going to hear about it and come try to take him back by force. So to protect him, they sent him overseas to Ireland and the UK for about two years. So in Ireland, Frederick writes about the stark contrast between the white churchgoers in the U.S. and those in Ireland that he met, who really were just so happy to have him and to have him teach them the scriptures and to spend time with him. So I'm going to share some of what he writes about the impact of that contrast in his own words with a heads up that he uses a dehumanizing word, chattel, meaning property. So he writes this. I breathe and lo, the chattel becomes a man. I gaze around in vain for who will question my equal humanity? Who will offer me an insult? I employ a cab and I'm seated beside white people. I reach the hotel and I enter the same door. I'm shown into the same parlor. I dine at the same table and no one is offended. I find myself regarded and treated at every turn with the kindness and deference paid to white people. When I go to church, I met with no upturned nose or scornful lip. So by now, Douglas has already encountered God as a friend, someone leaning towards him. And then here in Ireland, he also encounters God's people as friends, also leaning towards him. And that may have helped empower Douglas to do some of the really bold, loving things we're about to hear him doing next. But first, let's maybe become curious, who in our lives might we be called to lean toward? Is there someone in our community, in our family, in our place of work, in our neighborhood, who may feel as if God is leaning away from them? And let's just notice the power of a kind word, a gentle expression, speaking someone's name in a kind way. Those little gestures can sometimes be anecdotes, antidotes to the idea that God is also leaning away from us. And those small efforts can have a real cumulative effect. So uh, hold that picture in mind as we look now at how our text wraps up with Jesus saying this. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what the ancestors also did to the prophets. And I want to say something about this word, rejoice. This word in the Greek holds a symmetry to the word blessed. So the word rejoice holds this sense of leaning back toward God, extending ourselves toward God, reaching back for God when we recognize that God is reaching for us. For Douglas, his rejoicing at understanding that God was leaning toward him did cause him to lean back towards others. So when he came back to the States, he championed the cause of women and other minority groups. And that rejoicing also looked like him leaning back toward his oppressors. But it was for a purpose, for the purpose of confronting them with what they had done and compelling them to do better. So on the 10th anniversary of his freedom, Douglas published an open letter written to his former enslaver, Thomas Ald. 
it's a powerful piece of really persuasive writing. And it holds some graphic imagery and language I'm not going to quote today, but I really encourage you to go find the text online. In the letter, Douglas addresses Ald person to person. And he describes in detail the brutality that Ald inflicted on Douglas and his family. And at one point in the letter, Douglas asked Ald how he would feel if his daughter Amanda had been taken from him and treated similarly. So here's some of what Douglas writes. He says, your wickedness and cruelty is an outrage upon the soul. How have you staggered under it these many years? Your mind must have become darkened, your heart hardened, your conscience seared and petrified, or you would have long since thrown off the accursed load and sought relief at the hands of a forgiving God. And then here's how Douglas concludes the letter. He says, I'll now bring this letter to a close, and you shall hear from me again unless you let me hear from you. I intend to make use of you as a weapon with which to assail the system of slavery. I shall make use of you as a means of exposing the character of the American church and its clergy. And then he ends with this. In doing this, I entertain no malice toward you personally. There is no roof under which you would be more safe than mine. And there is nothing in my house which you might need for your comfort, which I would not readily grant. Indeed, I would esteem it a privilege to set you an example as to how mankind ought to treat each other. Frederick Douglass, September 22nd, 1848. I've thought a lot about the tension here in Douglass's words and posture, his rejoicing, his leaning back toward God, back toward others, and back toward his oppressor but not with a joy that remains silent or keeps the peace. Not with a joy that leaves violence unanswered for. Douglas's writings succeeded in waking up many Northerners to the horrors of what was happening just a few miles to the south, and he was instrumental in mobilizing many people in the North to take action to end institutionalized enslavement. And we might wish that Douglas and his contemporaries had gone even further, had done more to fight against oppression, to take, had taken an even bolder stance. But as I was reminded recently, we are living in a different America than Douglas and his contemporaries inhabited, and what they weren't able to do is being asked of us now, meaning recognizing what direction God is leaning, and finding ways to incline ourselves in that direction also. So I'll leave us with these questions to reflect on in the coming week. Friends, how might we continue to allow the reflection of God we encounter in Jesus to update our understanding of who God is and what God is really like? And how might we continue to be curious about when and toward whom God is leaning, so we might also incline ourselves in that direction. And when we find that God is leaning in our direction, because perhaps we have experienced some form of oppression, how might we rejoice by leaning also back toward God, back toward others, and when it's safe to do so, perhaps back toward our oppressors? But with a joy that refuses 
to leave oppressive systems unchallenged, and a love that refuses to leave oppressive notions of God unshaken. Please pray with me. God of leaning toward and lifting up, of calling out, calling in, and calling forth, shake loose any notions we might hold about you still, which do not, in fact, help us encounter you bodily and embody your love in action. In the name of God, the body of Christ, and the rejoicing of the Spirit. Amen.